0: From our studio in San Francisco's The Civic Kitchen, this is Salt and Spine.
1: It's so funny. I was like allergic to putting the word Indian in the title because I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I hated the idea that uh, Barnes & Noble would put me in an international section because they saw Indian on the title.
0: Hi there. I'm Brian Hogan Stewart, and you're listening to Salt and Spine, stories behind cookbooks. And we're back with a whole new season for fall 2019. We've got weekly episodes where we're sitting down with cookbook authors to dive deeper into their works, stories, and inspirations. And you won't want to miss this season. We're running the gamut with cookbooks ranging from ice cream to cocktails, spanning the globe over, and so much more. Now make sure you're subscribed to Salt and Spine on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any episodes. And just a few moments ago, you heard from today's guest, Priya Krishna. Now, you might recognize Priya's byline if you've consumed food media in the past few years. She's a food writer by day who regularly contributes to The New York Times, Bon Appetit, and The New Yorker. Plus, of course, she's a cookbook author, and we're here to talk about her latest, Indian-ish, recipes and antics from a modern American family. And speaking of bylines, Priya's isn't the only one on this cookbook. In fact, she shares the billing with her mother, Ritu, who, as we'll learn, is the inspiration for and backbone of the recipes in this book. And that's because Priya's concept of Indianish is just that. It's the recipes and dishes from her mother, who immigrated to the U.S. from India, that she would make for Priya and her sister, merging her Indian heritage with American ingredients and styles. So in today's show, we're talking with Priya about this mother-daughter cookbook collaboration, about the cookbook authors that have inspired her, and of course, we're playing an Indian-ish game to wrap it up. Plus, we're stopping by Omnivore Books in San Francisco to chat with Celia Sack, and we've got recipes, Priya's roti pizza and her whole roasted cauliflower with green pea chutney for you to make at home. All of that this week on Salt and Spine. So let's head now to our studio inside the Civic Kitchen Cooking School in San Francisco where Priya Krishna joined us to talk cookbooks.
1: Hi, Priya. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Good. How are
0: you? Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on Salt and Spine.
1: Yeah, so many awesome people that I know have been on this podcast. It's very exciting to awesome. be on it.
0: That's great to hear. Well, we'll add you to the list <laughs> if we can keep our microphones functioning. Um So we're here to talk about your second cookbook. Mm-hmm. You wrote a cookbook before this called The Ultimate – let me get it right – um, the Ultimate Dining Hall Hacks yeah. Cookbook. And now we're here to talk about your second cookbook, which is titled Indianish mm-hmm. Recipes and Antics from a Modern American Family. Mm-hmm. So this is a very personal book for you. So I thought we'd start by talking about you and your life and what sort of led to this cookbook. Yeah. So you grew up in Dallas, in mm-hmm. the Dallas area, right? And this book is sort of a collaboration between you and your mother. Mm-hmm. And your mother, Ritu, I want to talk about her because she's... She seems like a total badass. Yeah. I mean, she is, she, is right? she really is.
1: She was She was actually in town until last night, and then she had to leave because she has a
0: job. She has to go to
1: work, but she's unbelievable. Understandable.
0: <laughs> so she, um, when you were growing up, she was teaching herself to cook, right? Mm-hmm. Tell us a yep. little bit about what led her to sort of creating a lot of these recipes and that path um, from her perspective.
1: Yeah. So she didn't learn to cook in India, which was kind of an anomaly. I feel like she grew up in a very gendered society where women were supposed to learn how to cook, uh, but her mother just hated cooking. Interesting. And so she never – she came to the U.S. Uh, with my dad and she didn't know how to cook and basically just started watching cooking shows like those PBS cooking shows like Martin Yan and uh-huh. Julia Child. She started reading cookbooks by Indian authors like Tharla Dalal. And she started mining her own memories of her childhood. And slowly but surely, she sort of amassed this repertoire of dishes that were kind of rooted in Indian flavors, but pulled inspiration from all around her. And she was also traveling a lot for work as a software programmer in the airline industry. So there were a lot of global influences. So, you know, the the ish in Indian-ish is really strong. It's like the product of her, you know, only developing her sense of cooking when she was here and the the limitations that immigrants face when they're trying to recreate the flavors of home, but only have access to certain ingredients.
0: Yeah. And I think that ish was sort of intensified too by you and your sisters sort of longing for what you were seeing yeah. other people eating as well.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah. I, In retrospect, I feel very guilty for the how much my sister and I pushed my mom. We went to a school that was mostly, you know, upper middle class white kids right. and they ate roughly the same things for dinner you know spaghetti roast chicken stuff like that and all my sister and i wanted was just to feel like we fit in and our food was a way of oh, easy way that my mom could kind of remedy that
0: sure and so you would be requesting sort of specific things like i want pizza yes. and she would then you know come up with a roti pizza for yeah instance. yeah
1: exactly like she wasn't going to give us she wasn't going to give us Pete like pizza pizza. She was okay, going to do yeah. pizza her way. Right. Right. <laughs>
0: You also wrote a piece recently that really, I really loved for Conde Nast Traveler mm-hmm. um, that was titled How My Mother's Travel Shaped My Worldview. And I thought that was a really interesting piece. I actually read it twice. I read it when it Aww. was published and then I read it again um, preparing for this interview. <laughs> and I got kind of emotional both times because I just think the presence that we feel in your book and mm-hmm. also in your writing of that connection with your mother and that sort of realization and understanding that I think it what I understand took you some time to sort of come to realize Mm -hmm. the role that her career and her life and in particular her food and the food she was serving you as a family sort of played in influencing you now as a food writer and cookbook author.
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like as kids, we definitely don't realize the things that our parents are doing and the sacrifices that they're making for their kids. And you only kind of realize like the method to all of that later on and i think my mom was one of those people she had incredible foresight because i feel like a lot of moms like i'm sure she felt guilty when she traveled but i feel like a lot of mothers sort of they say that thing that's like you know you when you're a mom you never fight quite feel present you're always either like absent from work or absent from your kids yeah and my mom would go on work trips and be like fully present at work and when she was home she'd be fully present at home And I feel like there's this mentality that as a mom, you have to constantly be around your kids and you have to be there for every little moment. But I really do think it was more important that my mom was kind of showing what it was to be this like strong working parent who wasn't going to let having kids like compromise her ambitions or put anything that she wanted to do in life on hold.
0: Yeah. And I feel like we could spend an entire episode talking about your mom. I mean, you even yeah. have a bulleted list <laughs> yeah. in the book, which is amazing of all the incredible things she's done, like hiking Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. Um, just, it sounds like sort of on a whim. Kind of
1: casually. Yeah. yeah so
0: <laughs> incredible. Um, and I encourage everyone to read that part of your cookbook for sure, but I want to talk more about you now. So mm-hmm. did you realize from an early age that you were interested in food beyond sort of like wanting to eat it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I've always been super fascinated by food. I was the kid that, you know, when I was really, really young, I didn't want the kids menu. I wanted the adult menu because I was just intrigued by what all was out there. When we traveled, I would always be the first to taste the new thing. I I read menus for fun. Um, I loved reading, like, the Dallas, like, new restaurant listings, um, but I never thought it would be, it could be a career. That was never something that crossed my mind until, like, later on in college.
0: So this is, like, as a kid, you're reading the new restaurant yes. listings? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, my parents, like, didn't, we went to the same restaurant, so it was more just, like, I would aspirationally read these restaurant okay. listings and then never go to any of these restaurants.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're sort of living vicariously yeah. through the restaurant announcements. exactly. So you then you're in college and you sort of have a an inkling that food could be a career. And was it specifically food writing that you were thinking at that moment? Yeah.
1: But like at that moment, I was going – I was in school in Hanover, New Hampshire, super rural, not close to any food or food media companies. And so sure. I think when I wanted to go into food, I was just like, I'll get into food whatever way in I can. As yeah. long as I'm around food, I'm – I'm cool with that.
0: <laughs> and I think you even wrote your master's thesis on food.
1: Uh, my undergrad thesis. I don't have your a master's. Your thesis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I wrote it. I was a French and government major, so I wrote my thesis in the French department on the notion of taste and how you can trace the etymology of that word to understand how food became a culture unto itself
0: yeah so that interest was definitely there yeah and then right after college you go to lucky peach
1: uh i did like a a brief internship at a restaurant pr firm and really didn't like it and then uh got a job at lucky peach basically like two months into moving in new york
0: and you weren't doing food writing yet
1: no no i wouldn't and stuff yeah i wouldn't Write about food until 2016. Okay. It would be a while. I joined Lucky Peach in 2013, and they let me write occasionally for the magazine and for the website. But it was very church and state over there. They wanted you know the business side to do business sure. side, editorial to be editorial. So yeah, my first job was uh, I was the customer service representative. So like okay. when you need to change your subscriber address, you'd call this hotline, and I'd be on the other side of the phone. Um, but then I sort of graduated to managing our events and our press and our marketing. You
0: also worked in restaurants for a while. Is that true?
1: I worked in, uh, in a restaurant in college. Okay. I felt when I realized I wanted to be a food writer, I felt like it was important to work as a, just like work the line at a yeah. restaurant and just to understand how that world works. Sure. Um, and so I like walked into my favorite restaurant in town and I was unpaid for like six months. And then, uh, yeah, sounds
0: about right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And (laughs) then I I think they paid me like $10 an hour. Right. But I was just grateful for the experience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you're at Lucky Peach and your mom, I understand, is contributing some recipes to Lucky Peach content, like Lucky Peach cookbooks. Mm -hmm. In particular, I think the Power Vegetables cookbook. And my understanding is that's sort of how this cookbook came to be. Is that true? Can you tell us what that was like? And how that sort of was presented to you or what that looked like. In yeah. Terms
1: of <laughs> Whenever people ask me this question, I'm like, I wish this book was my idea, but I just, it like. I'm not
0: trying to take any credit away from no, you. No, 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 like, no. I'm like, f- I'm fully
1: willing to give credit to Rika Alanique, who is the editor of the Lucky Peach cookbooks and saw that my mom had all of these amazing recipes in our cookbook Power Vegetables at Lucky Peach. She had heard my mom's story. She was really inspired by it and we just met for breakfast one morning and she was like i don't think there's a cookbook out there that makes indian food seem fun and also accessible something that young people can look to and be like i can do this these recipes are built for me and also one that kind of tells a narrative about like a modern first gen second gen family and what it's like to be a kid with immigrant parents um And weaving that into Indian food, like a book that does both of those things. The food that my mom grew up, that we grew up eating was really simple, creative, but super flavorful food. It was the food that when she had 30 minutes to put dinner on the table, what she'd make. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to simplify or streamline any of these recipes because it was just my mom's everyday stuff.
0: Yeah. And can you give us some examples for people who haven't looked at the cookbook of what those sorts of things were that she was putting on the table?
1: Yeah. She would make this like six ingredient red pepper, peanut, and potato subsea that is just like this wonderful side and it's just flavored with fennel seeds and potatoes and onions and you can literally make it in one pan. It comes together. She would make dal and top it with caramelized onions to give it a little bit more pizzazz and dal is one of those quick cooking, really cheap Staples that many Indian families have at home. Uh-huh. She would make salad with cucumbers and beets and avocados and dress it in this um, dressing that we we ate everything with of lime and chilies and garlic and salt and that was so good. It's called kachumber. Um, she would make grilled cheese sandwiches, but instead of cheddar cheese, she'd stuff them with yogurt mixed with cilantro and onions and jalapeno, and then she would griddle them and top them with curry leaves and mustard seeds that she tempered. Yeah, um, I love
0: that. I saw that in the book. Yeah. It's
1: awesome. It's such that recipe is just, it's one of my favorites in the book. But yeah, it's really, it's been really fun seeing since the book came out, people being like, oh, like I can put together a dahi toast, a sag paneer with feta, a roti pizza in no time at all. Like, yeah. These aren't project recipes.
0: Right. And how does that reception feel? Like you've, the book has had incredible reception and not that this is like the marker of success, but I mean, Mindy Kalig is yeah. like <laughs> praising you to all of her Instagram followers, which how does that feel to sort of write this cookbook and then get that response in return?
1: I mean, it, it feels great. I mean, to yeah. every editor or person who told me that this food wouldn't sell, this food's not good enough to belong in the pages of a magazine. Or, you know, on a website, it, fe- it feels like we're proving them wrong. I, I hope that my book is successful, obviously, because I want my book to be successful like any sure. author does. But I also want, you know, more publishing companies to take chances on stories like these that don't sort of fit the, like, Ina Garten model of cooking. Right. It's a mostly whitewashed interpretation of American food. You know, I talked to a chef the other day who told me that – he was told that by a publishing company that like they couldn't publish his book because they published one other Indian book that year, which is insane yeah. to me. Like publishing companies will publish like 10 Italian cookbooks. Right. But they won't like 20 yeah.
0: instant pot cookbooks. Yeah, or exactly. Or 20 keto cookbooks. Yeah. yeah. So you get the idea for this book. The, mm-hmm. the conversation around this book starts taking place, mm-hmm. how do you decide to approach the book the way that you did? So, And and by that, I mean involving your mother so intimately mm-hmm. in it, right? I think you already sort of knew a lot of these recipes could yeah. sort of take them and write a book on your own. How did you decide to make it really the collaborative project that you did between the two of you in particular?
1: It's funny you say that because I definitely could not have done this okay. alone. I just I don't even think Fair. that was a possibility <laughs> for me. Okay. I... I'm a – I think I'm a good journalist. I'm not a good recipe writer. Okay. My mom is an amazing recipe writer. When she wrote recipes for Lucky Peach, the feedback we got was like, we didn't have to make any changes. These are perfectly written recipes. That's awesome. Um, and so my mom – like, it was just – it wasn't even a question that well, – I, mean, I probably should have asked my mother permission, but it was more like <laughs> after the book sold, I was like, mom – I'm writing a book and can you write a hundred recipes? Right. Right. (laughs) But like this book couldn't have existed without her. I mean, and without my whole family, it wouldn't, it would have felt so inauthentic to who I, to who I am to not involve them. My understanding of cooking comes directly from my mother and, you know, the book was such a family process. My mom wrote the recipes. My dad helped me with grocery shopping. He would help me do the dishes. My sister and brother-in-law flew in to help with the photo shoot and like pick basil out of tofu for several hours. And my uh, uncles and aunts recipe tested and hand modeled and, You know, I I left this book process being like, how do people not write books with their parents?
0: (laughs) Right, or their extended families, lots of support, yeah.
1: My parents even wrote essays that got published in the book.
0: Yeah. So- Yeah, your dad has a great one on yogurt.
1: I love my dad's essay on yogurt. It's one of my favorite things in the book. It's awesome. (laughs) It's really
0: awesome. And that process of you testing the recipes and going back to your parents' house and being there with them Mm -hmm. was also just sort of, I think, incredible to see for fans of yours. I was following along Mm -hmm. on your Instagram stories and just like seeing the process of you testing different recipes and that what that looked like. I think that was like, what, a year ago? Yeah. Almost now? Yeah, that
1: was a while ago. Yeah. that was like the first time I started – I did not like using Instagram at all. And that was okay. kind of my foray. I, I realized I love stories. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of authors are really timid about sharing stuff about their cookbook until they have a cover. And then it's yeah. like, oh, like this thing I've been working on for a few years. I really wanted to be super transparent about the process. One, because I just thought it would be fun and to help to build buzz. And two, because – other authors were kind of like giving me tips along the way and I was yeah. totally open and this book would not exist without other authors being so generous with their time and their tips. So to me, it felt really natural. I was excited to kind of pull the curtain back and take people along for the ride. Um, and I also like there I didn't I feel like I didn't fully know what I was doing. So it was kind of fun to just be documenting the process as I figured it out.
0: Yeah, it seemed like a lot of fun. I understand making a cookbook can be a really challenging thing. So to see the, the levity and the fun moments, I think was really nice for fans of yours too. We'll come back to other authors, but I want to note that some authors, I think are hesitant to talk about their book until they have a cover. Like you say, also Mm -hmm. similarly hesitant to talk about their book before they have a title sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I understand Indianish was not a title that you, not what you thought the title of the book would be. Yeah. Originally. It was, it was a placeholder.
1: It was the title and the proposal. Okay. And then I wrote better title TK, which in editorial <laughs> speak means to come. Right. Um, I just didn't, you know, it's so funny. I was like allergic to putting the word Indian in the title because I didn't want to be pigeonholed. I hated the yeah. idea that uh, Barnes and Noble would put me in an international section because they saw Indian on the title. Right. Um, and then I started going to these publishing meetings. Um, people just loved that title. Like yeah. they got, Super excited. And when I'd be like, I'm going to change it, they'd be like, no, like this is, I can't think of a better word to describe exactly what you're talking about in this proposal. But one thing that was important to me is I wanted American to be in the book too. So I made the subtitle recipes and antics from a modern American family because I wanted people to understand that this book belongs in the canon of American cookbooks. I was born and raised in the U S. This is a book about an American family and it should be treated as such.
0: Yeah. And you've been pretty outspoken about the frustration for mm-hmm. with not necessarily publishers, but booksellers mostly and particularly, you know, big ones like Barnes and Noble yeah. or Amazon sort of pigeonholing books into where they think they sort of fit instead of where they might actually fit or sort of what they might represent beyond sort of these these categories that they, you know, use to sell books. So that was, was that something you knew early on? Like that you felt that tension right away? Yeah. It sounds like it.
1: Yeah. That was something I was acutely aware of when I'd go to bookstores. It would just drive me crazy. And I saw on Twitter, um, the cookbook author, Nick Sharma, Uh tweeted that, His cookbook has never been in an American section, except like in the UK. That's the only place he ever sees his book in an American section. Interesting. Even though his book similarly is about like being in America and it's just so frustrating. And yeah, I hope that by putting slapping American on the title, it would help sort of drive that change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely intentional then. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be right back with the second half of our conversation with Priya Krishna. After years of getting ripped off by big wireless providers, there's finally a
2: better option. Mint Mobile is the affordable premium wireless service that you buy online,
0: starting at just 15 bucks a month. By cutting out retail stores, Mint Mobile got rid of the crazy overhead costs so that you could score some sweet savings every month. To get your new wireless phone plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com save. That's mintmobile.com save. But first, we're gearing up for the 50th episode of Salt and Spine in just a few weeks. Wow, I can't believe it. It's been just over a year since we launched, and I have absolutely loved telling the stories behind cookbooks. And to celebrate our 50th episode, we're running a special promotion. You can become a sponsor of Salt and Spine this month, and if you do, you'll be entered into a contest to win one of several cookbooks from our recent guests. And that's in addition to other perks you'll get for joining the Salt and Spine community. Like Salt and Spine bookmarks, Salt and Spine t-shirts, and more. Now you can join the Salt and Spine community and support our effort to bring you top-notch interviews and the best cookbook content, starting at just $2 a month. Find out more and join the Salt and Spine community at patreon.com backslash salt and spine. That's patreo dot com backslash s-a-l-t-a-n-d-s-p-i-n-e. Now back to our conversation with Priya Krishna, author of Indianish. So the book also has a lot of fun features. Like your mom has some recommendations for pairing food with wine. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned some of the essays. You also have this um, FAQ section at the beginning yeah. that I really enjoyed. And one thing in particular is curry. Mm-hmm. So I know you've been asked about curry, but there's a you intentionally made a point to not just you know not have a book that has curry recipes, because that's not what Indian food is, but to call it out like in the third page to release. (laughs) Tell us about that decision and why you felt that was important to sort of put that right at the forefront of your book.
1: Yeah, I feel like curry is a word that has haunted me my whole life. I mean, it's up there with like a poo from The Simpsons in terms of like, sort of generalizations that have been made about Indian culture that have just just driven me absolutely crazy. Um The word curry basically was a word that was popularized by European colonizers in India to sort of make Indian food understandable to a Western audience. But what ended up happening was that it reduced Indian food to sort of this monolith, this like mystery stew and yeah. anything remotely resembling like a sauced or gravy based dish became known as a curry. And that's how curry powder was born. And curry powder is I just, I, I just can't, can't handle curry powder because most of the stuff you're buying in the grocery store is just kind of like turmeric and sawdust.
0: Right. Essentially
1: it doesn't yeah. really have much flavor. And I just, I wish people would stop calling for curry powder I wish that we would just buy whole spices are now all available at local stores. Mm -hmm. And I wish that we would call Indian dishes by their actual names and not just call it like tomato curry, egg curry. Like it just, it really bothers me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was really important that you included that right at the forefront of your book. And also Mm -hmm. it's a really lighthearted section too. I mean, you also, one of the FAQs is why should we trust you? Yeah. (laughs) So you're, you're definitely opening yourself up to readers and inviting them in right away At, at the same time you're, Um, sending a clear message with what the book is going to be. Totally. You also decided to include some illustrations Mm -hmm. throughout the book. Um, I love them and I want to hear a little bit more about that decision. The one in particular that I think sticks out to a lot of people and stuck out to me is the one of this white guy sort of in the background, (laughs) um, Maybe we can call him a bro. I don't know. He doesn't look super broy, but clearly yeah. a white guy yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. "Have you heard of Gee?" Um, <laughs> sort of like off in the background, yeah. <laughs> and I forget the other the other speech bubble that accompanies it. But it just says, just "Way like, ahead of you." <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, how did you? There. I just want to give people a taste of what these illustrations yeah. are. How did you decide to include those in the book?
1: That was like one of the earliest things in my proposal. Really? Like I included in my proposal, I had like a little mood board for the book. And it was all illustrations by Hate Copy or Maria Kumar, the artist yeah. who does these illustrations, um, who is uh South Asian as well. And I just felt like her illustrations perfectly capture the experience of like being South Asian in the West and having immigrant parents, but being like very much like a she was born in Canada, but for me being being an American kid, um she captured these like perfect experiences like there's this one that's like two Indian parents, and they're like, well, like, well, Vijay, our daughter hasn't called us, so obviously she's dead <laughs> yeah. and just like things like that that happen when you have right. these overbearing Indian parents and it i I just felt like I needed i I just had this vision of my parents being you know, captured in Maria's illustrations and she was the only choice. It, w- it wasn't even a question that we were going to have illustrations. That was something I was very upfront about. I was like, these illustrations belong in the book and there was no, there was no second choice. Like, yeah. and and Maria's color palette, her style that very much drove the aesthetic of the book. Like yeah. I love how bright and unapologetic and also casual and lighthearted it was. I love that. You know, the fact that she uses pop art as her medium, pop art, we only ever really see white people depicted in most pop art when we think of that right. genre. Right. Um, Just everything she stands for felt like everything the book stands for.
0: Yeah, they're awesome. And you gave her videos, photos like of your family, right? So she yeah. could sort of draw inspiration from your actual family. Yeah, too. I
1: sent her like a 15-minute video <laughs> of my family at Thanksgiving and my mom like cooking and showing us her closet full of saris. Uh-huh. And yeah, Maria watched all of that footage and came back with these hilarious ideas. That's awesome.
0: Are there cookbook authors or particular cookbooks that have been influential to you, either in your career as a food writer or as you were putting this book together?
1: I think in sort of style and voice, I was really influenced by Julia Tertian. I Mm -hmm. think her cookbooks are just so inviting. You feel like you're just like in Julia's kitchen and she's having a conversation with you. When I was struggling with head note or a recipe format, I would Open up her book, Small Victories, and read through it. Um, but I also was really influenced by the other Indian authors that came before me, specifically Tharla Dalal, um, and Mother Joffrey. Uh, I feel like there are sort of subtle callbacks to Mother Joffrey's book, An Invitation to Indian Cooking in the book, because Mother and my mom have somewhat similar stories. They're from the same part of Delhi, and certainly my cookbook would not exist without mother having, you know, paved the way.
0: Yeah. And you also have mentioned that there's a number of other books that have come out from like second generation Indian Mm -hmm. immigrants. I know preteen mystery who we've had on the show sort of talking about the way the cuisine has evolved and adapted based on, you know, the way that things do evolve and adapt. And your book is sort of maybe the next in that line of sort of books by second generation immigrants and talking about how how the cuisine has impacted you and how it's evolved to your life and your family.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's so, so exciting to see all of these awesome Indian American cookbooks coming out. I feel like, you know, all of us are (laughs) tired of our food just being called curry and we want to show people the nuances within it and also like how, yeah, like how it's not just these dishes that adhere to, you know, to strictly to what is being prepared in India, but yeah, it changes and evolves when it comes to the U.S. And I think the restaurants that I tend to be the most excited about are ones that Showcase the evolution of, you know, immigrants coming to the U.S.
0: Yeah. Well, we always end with a little game. So I want to get a little cliche for a minute. Sure. <laughs> because we're here talking about Indianish. We're talking about how your mom sort of took in some, I mean, obviously all of these recipes are not like this, but mm-hmm. recipes like a roti pizza is mm-hmm. like she's hearing your desire to have pizza and she's sort of merging it with what she knows mm-hmm. and how she cooks. Mm-hmm. So I want to give you some, um, sort of cliche American classic dishes and see if you can throw me back like an Indianish version.
1: Okay. How do you feel about this? Sure. I like, I mean, I feel like I'm (laughs) only now learning a lot of those, those dishes.
0: I feel like like I I went pretty, like, pretty mainstream. Okay, great. I think you'll know all of these things. Okay, great. The first one is cheeseburgers.
1: Um... How well, do we have, like,
0: an Indianish cheese.
1: cheeseburger? Well, there is, I mean, uh, baobaji, in my book, it's made on a buttered bun, but instead of topping it with a beef patty, you top it with like potatoes and peas and a cauliflower gravy and then lime and onions. I crave it probably more than I would ever crave a cheeseburger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds delicious.
1: But like, yeah. Buttered potato rolls. How can you go wrong? How
0: can you go wrong? Yeah. Is that similar to like a Pav? A Pav is like, yeah. Of a slider, it's P P
1: A right? V. Uh, we, okay. w- yeah. we pronounce it bow. Uh, okay.
0: And some
1: places, I think some parts of the country pronounce it more like bav.
0: Yeah. Um, how about nachos? Can we make an Indian-ish nachos?
1: Well, it's it's very funny you're saying all of this because, like, th- I feel like there are correlations in my book. <laughs> that's like, what I thought, the, yeah. <laughs> the roti pizza in my book, right. the one that's covered with cheddar cheese and red onions and cilantro chutney. The other day I realized that it totally just tastes like Indian nachos because you kind of cut it into triangles yeah. like you would a nacho. And it has that like balance of brightness and cheesiness and spiciness that you want in a nacho. Right. And uh, I'm like just now thinking about them <laughs> yeah. and getting really hungry.
0: <laughs> I know. They sound really good and very snackable. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, very like snackable.
0: Okay. How about barbecued baby back ribs?
1: I was actually just in India and um, I went to this restaurant called Indian Accent, which is a really famous fine dining restaurant in Delhi. Uh-huh. And they were glazing... Uh, ribs with Old Monk, which is a brand of rum that's really popular in India. Like, okay. tell anyone in India Old Monk, and they'll be they'll know exactly what you're talking about. It okay. sort of got this like harsh, smoky taste, but it worked really well with okay. ribs. So that, yeah, that feels Indianish. Sounds to me.
0: delicious. Okay, last one. There's a saying: "As American as apple pie." So, could we take an apple pie and somehow make it Indianish?
1: Yeah, I can't wait to popularize like as American as roti pizza, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um I don't well (laughs) my mom and I loved uh putting cheddar cheese in the crust of our apple pie growing up.
0: That's I used to melt it on top.
1: Ooh, that sounds really good too. Yeah, but I
0: I actually am really intrigued by putting it in the crust. So you would put like shredded cheese. We put
1: shredded cheddar Uh. cheese into the crust and it was so Good. It just added, like, another layer of depth. And also, like, I feel like our apple pies tasted better because most people start with ground spices and all we really have in our cabinet is whole spices. So we were, like, crushing the cinnamon from the bark and the nutmeg from the little – the big seeds and things like that. And so I feel like our apple pies were very spice forward in a way that was really wonderful because – we knew the the Indian secret of starting with whole spices, right?
0: So whole spices and a little cheddar <laughs> and in the cheddar crust. cheese, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. awesome. Those that all sound amazing. Well, thank you so much, Priya. This was so fun to have you.
1: This was great. It was so. I just I feel like sometimes with podcasts you're pulling teeth, and this one flowed so beautifully. <laughs> oh, good,
0: good, great. <laughs> well, write another book and come back then. We'll be glad. I'd to love have to. You. <laughs> <laughs> Let's head now to Omnivore Books in San Francisco, where we're chatting this week with Celia Sack. Hi, Celia. How are you? Hi,
2: Brian. I'm doing well. Great.
0: So we just sat down with Priya Krishna to talk about her first cookbook, or actually her second cookbook. She wrote uh, a cookbook, a small cookbook on um, dining hall hacks earlier in her career. Oh my god, I had no idea. Her first major cookbook, (laughs) Indian-ish, Recipes and Antics from an American Kitchen. Um, I'm hoping you have some wisdom to share with us.
2: Well, yes, actually. So it's really her mother who is to blame for this book, (laughs) Um, to honor for this book. She provided all of the recipes and um, Priya just sent her the contract and said, (laughs) "Uh, I got a contract to write a cookbook. You you have to give me all the recipes. We're doing this together. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So when she came, she was with her mother and uh, her mother moved here as so many um, Indian women do with her husband who was studying engineering and she ended up studying it too. She really loved it. It yeah and got into it and so had a career of her own uh but also was you know the typical thing she hadn't really learned how to cook when she was living in India and once she got here she had to learn sure. she went back and had her mother teach her some of the things but then she also incorporated a lot of american foods with um and ingredients with right. uh with indian and that's the product of the book.
0: Yeah, that's how we get Indianish. Yeah. And we sat down with Priya but we didn't have the chance to invite her mother Ritu as well cuz she uh, you know is working and she had to get mm-hmm. back to her job while Priya's <laughs> on tour. Um but I you have more cookbook experience than I do. How often do you see sort of family collaborations like this? It felt really unique to me. It is. Yeah. It
2: is. It's very rare to have uh to have this kind of collaboration mm-hmm. and I I winced at the thought of working with my own mother on, on something for two years. And clearly they had their ups and downs. Right. Uh, but it is, it's really wonderful to see them work together. And there is sort of a trend now. It's really interesting with, um, the younger folks that are coming up <laughs> sure. of making, um, cookbooks that are about food from their background culture and american so Uh chinese american is a really popular thing right now mexican american and now this indian american where you know people are growing up having a mix of both and um and mixed together on one plate
0: so it's interesting to see that cuisine finally um come up yeah for sure well thank you so much celia my pleasure And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find bonus content from today's show and all of our episodes on saltandspine.com. There you'll find recipes for Priya's roti pizza and whole roasted cauliflower with green pea chutney. Remember, if you like hearing from your favorite authors on Salt and Spine, and I hope you do, please click subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can support us and join the Salt and Spine community by visiting patreon.com backslash salt and spine. Our show today was produced by me, Brian Hogan-Stewart, and our original theme song was created by Brunch for Lunch. Salt and Spine is recorded at the Civic Kitchen in San Francisco's Mission District. The Civic Kitchen offers hands-on classes and events for home cooks. Find out more at civickitchensf.com. Thanks, as always, to Jen Nurse, Chris Bonamo, and the Civic Kitchen team, and to Celia Sack at Omnivore Books. We'll be back next week with more stories behind the cookbooks you love. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Greetings Adventurers is an award-winning comedy, real play DD podcast that has been running for a decade with 427 episodes in our first campaign
1: i didn't have back problems or kids
0: when we started my favorite thing about the show is that it's a group of friends playing DD
1: who don't take anything too seriously
0: right like would a normal group use a sphere of
1: annihilation as a toilet we threw so much mayonnaise in there we just
0: started a new campaign so it's a great time to jump in Or you can listen to our first Level 1 all the way to Level 20 adventure and have hundreds of hours of entertainment. New episodes every Monday, so listen to Greetings Adventurers on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com